Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter seven. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi everybody, welcome to Seeking Truth. We're here for John chapter seven, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a biggie. We are tabernacles. This is before the beginning of time God had a plan. He told us last week in John six, I am the bread of life. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Now, this is another big theme for John. It's called abiding theology, to abide in. What does abide mean? It means to continue in a place, to dwell there. He says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will abide in me and I in you. He wants to abide. He wants to dwell in us continually. So bread is a big deal to poor, hungry people who have none. And bread is a big deal to all people of all time, because this bread is not just bread. This is bread blessed, broken, and shared for all people of all time, including us today. This is the bread of life. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Now, where in the Bible did we first hear about bread? The very, very, very first time I had to check it out. It's right after the fall of mankind. And then God's talking about bread. Do you remember this? In Genesis 3, God says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree that I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Notice God doesn't curse Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. You're going to toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life out of the ground. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Oh, did they have bread already? Did they know what bread was? Or did they have ovens in Eden? Huh. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, Adam. For out of it you were taken your dust, and unto dust you shall return. I think it's really curious that bread is mentioned there. Before the fall, every single provision was given by a good, loving father. They had every need met. They could eat freely from the tree of life or any other tree in the entire garden except for one. God said, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew good. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. They knew good, but they didn't know evil yet. Don't eat from that tree. God didn't want them to know to be intimate with evil. So they give up the tree of life for the knowledge of evil. Now, what was the fruit on that tree of life? That's what I want to know. We're never told in the Bible what the fruit was on the tree of life. What did it bear? What did it produce? We know on the knowledge tree, the knowledge of good and evil, in Western art, it's always Eve eating an apple. But in the Mediterranean, they say, scholars say it would have most likely been a pomegranate tree or a fig tree. They used fig leaves to cover themselves. But we're never told what the fruit was on the other tree, the tree of life. But we know that Jesus is hidden there all along. The Trinity's there. He's, Jesus is the tree of life. And Ezekiel tells us when this new temple comes, we studied this last year, there's going to be a tree and, and it's going to have fresh fruit every month because water's going to flow from the sanctuary of this temple and the fruit will be the food and the leaves for their healing on this tree of life. Hmm. 
What kind of fruit is this? And in Revelation 22, it said, in the temple of the living God, there's going to be a, a fruit that perpetually produces all the time, 12 months a year. And, and, and the leaves of this tree are going to be for the healing of all the nations. What kind of fruit is that? So we know Jesus is that new tree of life. Those seven stars, the, the new covenant, the perfection. And the painters have painted him where he's the Eucharistic host on the tree of life. And every host has a scene of his life. What fruit did that first tree of life bear? Mary feeds her children from the tree of life, while Eve fed her children from the tree of death, the knowledge of evil. Jesus now is going to reverse the curse of Adam. The curse for toil for bread is now going to be reversed and ushered in by a new Adam, the first fruit of a new creation. And he says he's the bread of life. And we're supposed to eat him. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, Adam. But now, Jesus is giving us free bread again. He's reversing the curse of Adam. What do you think was on that tree of life? I think it's a bread tree. And we lost it. We lost free bread. So let's trace biblical bread after the fall. First time we see bread after the fall after that is King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. And they broke bread together and drank wine, and they fellowshiped. Then we hear about unleavened bread last week and the festival of unleavened bread. And then in Exodus 16, God introduces free bread again. It's called manna. It falls from the sky. It rains down from heaven. They didn't have to work for it or anything. How'd they like it? How do we like Eucharist? Humanity hadn't had any free bread since the fall of mankind. It's raining from the sky. And they grumble. Now, the next time we see bread, Exodus 24, Moses, Aaron, and 70 of the elders, do you remember they got to eat with God? After Moses made a blood covenant, 70 of the elders get to go up and they see God's feet and they see the pavers of sapphire and they look up and they break bread with God and they behold the face of the almighty God, 70 of them. Interesting. And right after that, the Lord told Moses, have them make me a sanctuary, a tabernacle, so I can dwell among them. God wants to be with them in the middle of their life at all times. So God pitched a tent among Moses and his people, and God dwelled with them, and he was the true presence. God's true presence is right in the midst of their camp. Now, John's prologue tells us, the word became flesh, this new Moses, and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. And we've seen him full of grace and truth. This new Moses, this new God-man, pitches his tent to abide with us in his true presence. And we say, well, we didn't see it. We weren't alive back then. He didn't tabernacle with me. I wasn't living then. Okay. God has that all figured out because he has a plan before the foundation of the earth for this bread that's going to tabernacle with us in our tent always, in our tabernacle, in our sanctuary, in our holy of holies. His name is Jesus. And he tabernacled among us. We've seen his glory. The glory as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. He's tabernacling all over the world in every Catholic tabernacle on the face of the earth in every country, every nation. He's with us. He tabernacles with us. 
Jesus tabernacles with us. Behold the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He's in there. He's tabernacling with us. The true presence of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to do the work of the Father. And then he's going to be glorified. And then he's going back to the Father. So we won't leave this orphan, but pour out his Holy Spirit on us. And that Holy Spirit's going to live in us. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit's going to abide in us. And the Holy Spirit's going to tabernacle in us, making us a temple. We're the holy space, and he's the holy of holy space. It's going to make us a new temple of God, each and every one of us. Jesus has told us in John 2, I'm the temple. He basically said that when he said, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. He's the temple. He's the true presence of God abiding among us. And we are the holy place, and he lives in the holy of holies in the temple. So he's in the deepest space within us. Other world religions cannot make this claim. They absolutely cannot. Why? Because you need a valid priesthood with the authority to forgive sin so you can be a holy sanctuary where he can tabernacle. That's why we never go to communion with mortal sin on our soul. He can't tabernacle there. So we need a valid priesthood like John 20, 20 told us that can forgive sin, that can loosen bind. Whatever you forgive is forgiven to those 10 men, that new priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. And you need a valid priesthood with authority from God to transubstantiate by the power of the Holy Spirit this bread matter into spiritual flesh that is the body of Jesus Christ. Not just anyone can do that. Read the scriptures. It must be a valid priesthood. Other faiths think they have it. They don't. They don't have a valid priesthood. Now I ask you, on your deathbed, and you need last rites, and you need your final confession because you're going to meet your maker. Which priest do you want to come to you? You want a valid one in person of Christ, in persona Christi. You want to make sure it's a valid priesthood that has the power, the authority from God to forgive sin. So you know where you're going to spend all your eternity. This is God's pedagogy. This is how God teaches us. He said, I want to be with my people. I want to tabernacle with them in their presence. So he had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he told them the exact blueprint that was from the heavenly sanctuary that Moses was to build exactly like this. Because I'm going to be among my people. I'm going to be in that tent. That tent is the holy place. And in the back of it, in the furthest place, is the holy of holy place. And he said specific things that had to be in there. There had to be a lampstand, a menorah. There had to be the shoe bread, the table, the bread of the presence. There had to be the altar of incense and a curtain. And then behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. We were told that in Hebrews again. There was a lampstand, the showbread in the sanctuary, but in the Holy of Holies behind the second veil was the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And in there was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded authority, and the tablet of the covenant of the law. God, the true presence of God, and a mercy seat on top of it. So they made this tabernacle, and they carried it everywhere they went, so that the presence of God would always be with them. And they assembled it, and they encamped around Mount Sinai, where Moses got the blueprint. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of the meeting, their tent, and when they offered sacrifice, all the people were witnessing, and the fire of the Lord came down and consumed the sacrifice. So they knew God was pleased. He took their offering. And the glory of the Lord filled the tent. Glory cloud, Shekinah glory, just And the people saw it, and they knew it was God Almighty, and they fell on their faces. 
And he told them exactly how they would line up around the true presence of God. I want you to line up this way. And when you counted out all the tribes, it looked exactly like a cross. And God was in the center in the true presence. And the four living creatures were surrounding the true presence of God. And he led them through the desert. And they had to take it down. When the, when the pillar moved on, they had to go. And they had to hurry. And, and they had oxen. And they had to take this whole tent down and move it every time. And then they set it up again. And finally, when they got to the promised land, that tabernacle, they built a semi-permanent place for it in a town called Shiloh. And it stayed there for 369 years. And they made curtained walls. And they, they took the curtain walls and replaced it with stone. But they still had a roof of skin. So it was semi-permanent. This wasn't going to be the place. But Hannah goes there to pray and pray and pray and pray for a baby. Do you remember this story? And the priest thinks she's drunk. He said, get this lady out of here. And she's praying and praying and praying and praying. And she says, Lord, please, I'm your servant. I'm your handmaid. Give me a male child. I will dedicate him back in service to the temple. I will make him a Nazarite. I will consecrate him and set him apart for your service. Please give me a child. And the Lord heard Hannah's prayer at Shiloh. And he answered her prayer. And he gave her Samuel. And she did just as she said she would. When she weaned him, she gave him back to service in the temple. And Samuel, little Samuel, became a great prophet. He was the one to anoint King David, the second king of Israel in a united kingdom from tribe Judah. And Samuel is going to reveal to King David the precise location that God wants his permanent temple built. And he wants the permanent dwelling to be on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Oh, Moriah? We know that. Oh, that's where our father sacrificed Isaac. That's where he was going to sacrifice Isaac. And the angel said, stop. That was Mount Moriah. That's where he wants the permanent temple built. Mount Moriah in Salem, Jerusalem. Oh, and that's where Melchizedek blessed. Blessed. He's the king of Salem. And that's where he blessed Abram, our father. That's where you want the permanent temple built? Yes, in Jerusalem. Yes. So 400 years after Joshua has conquered Jerusalem, David reconquers Jerusalem. It had been retaken back by the Jebusites. David annexed Jerusalem. He made it his kingly capital city, the city of David. And that's where the temple was to be built. Now, David was 30 years old. Remember, John was 30 years old. Jesus was 30 years old. Ezekiel was 30 years old. They're all 30 years old when they start their priestly ministry, remember? He reigns there for 40 years. 40 is a time of trial in the Bible. At Jerusalem, he reigns over Israel and Judah. They're a united kingdom, one kingdom. And how long does he reign? 33 years. The divine number times two. Who died at age 33? Someone else, another king that we know, right? In the line of David. So the next chapter, David is leaping. They're bringing the ark into Jerusalem, the ark of the covenant from Shiloh to Jerusalem. And David is leaping. He can't contain himself. He's leaping in front of the ark. 1,000 years later, that exact same spot. John the Baptist is leaping in his mother's womb in front of the new ark of a new covenant in the same foothills of Judea. And an angel, Gabriel, appears to a young girl and says that you're going to have a son and he's going to have the throne of his ancestor, King David. Now, David's not going to be the one God chooses to build the temple. David has too much blood on his hands, but he promises it will be a son of David, someone from his royal line. And we know his son was Solomon. So we've gone from a tabernacle in the desert to a tabernacle, semi-permanent at Shiloh, to now a permanent dwelling in Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of Abram, and the city of Melchizedek. 
it's going to be built. The Ark of the Covenant will dwell there. It's going to take seven years to build this thing. And it's completed in 957 BC. It's built by Solomon, David's son. King Solomon, after he built God's temple, started working on his own palace, his own temple. Guess how long his took to build? God's took seven years. Solomon's took 13 years. Hmm. Interesting. He was probably busy with his wives. <laughs> Solomon summoned his presence at Jerusalem, and they're bringing the ark in to Jerusalem to be put in the temple of God, the permanent temple. And guess what feast day it was? It's the festival of the seventh month. You know what that is? It's the, the feast we're studying tonight, the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is a huge feast day to the Jews. It falls in the fall. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's in the seventh month. Now, they offered sacrifices to the Lord. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a huge feast. Everyone's invited. All nations can come to this feast. And Solomon says, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city. God had said this. I have not chosen a city or any tribe in Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there. But now I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. And he couldn't build it, Solomon tells them. So Solomon, your son, your own flesh and blood, he's going to be the one to build the temple for the name of the Lord. And here's what Solomon says. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne. And I have built the temple. And I have provided a place for the ark. Do you notice a theme, a pattern? I I, 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 the wisest man in all the world at one time has lost some of his wisdom because of the sin of I, arrogance, pride, very rich, 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 rich King Solomon. And he says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens can't, even the highest heaven can't contain you. How much less this temple that I have built, will God get in his box? And then he says to the Lord in a prayer, well, they're your people. They're your inheritance. You brought them out of Egypt, that iron smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servants, please. Your people, Israel. May you listen to them when they cry out to you, God. You singled them out of all the nations of the world for your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses that you, sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. So it is the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Ark of the Covenant is being brought into the temple. Solomon is praying and fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, just like out in the desert. So they know God is pleased. God is accepting this offering. And guess what? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. So much smoke and Shekinah glory that the priests had to get out of the temple. It was full of the cloud, the glory cloud of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And all the people just kept saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Now, Solomon kept that feast for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly just as God had prescribed. Solomon offered 22,000 cattle to be sacrificed during that feast of tabernacles. He offered 120,000 sheep and goats to be sacrificed. So the temple priests were busy preparing all those sacrifices, draining the blood from the animals for the atonement of sin of Israel. Solomon does it big when he does it. In fact, God said there only had to be one menorah and one table of shewbread. Solomon put 10. He built 10 menorahs and 10 temples of shewbread in his temple. 
Nothing too good for the Lord. Not from Solomon, that is. The richest king in all the land. God said, as for you, Solomon, if, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all I have commanded you, and if, if Solomon, you keep my statutes and my judgments, then you'll always have a man as ruler of Israel from this tribe, Judah. But if, if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast it out of my sight. Guess what Solomon did? How long did that temple last? If you do this, I will do this. If you do that, I will do that. This temple only lasted 371 years. Not long in Israel's history. Because they didn't follow the way of the Lord. They turned to other gods. It was destroyed by Babylon in 586 BC. And scripture says, as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passed by it will be astonished. And they will say, well, why has the Lord done this to the land and this house? And they'll answer, because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They embraced other gods. They worshiped other gods. They served other gods. And therefore, God has brought calamity upon them. It's not a very good witness to the God of Israel. Then Cyrus the Great is in charge from Persia. And in 539 BC, King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and he overtook the Babylonian Empire and Persia was ruling. And in his first year, he issued a decree and you'll never believe what he said. King Cyrus, king of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem at Judah. He's not even Jewish. And he's going to rebuild the temple. He gives the orders that everyone should start giving gold and silver, gold and silver, gold and silver. And that you can go back and you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple. So in 537 BC, the prince of Judah named Shezbazar at the time returns with 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Some stayed. They didn't want to go back. They didn't want to give up their Babylonian possessions. But the faithful remnant that went back, they returned and they rebuilt first things first, the altar, so that they could sacrifice. And I'll give you one guess what feast day it was. The Feast of Tabernacles, the one we're studying tonight. I want you to know the history of this feast. They celebrated Tabernacles in Ezra 3 before the temple was even before the foundation was even laid, they built an altar and they burned offerings for seven days and offerings and offerings from morning to evening. They kept the festival of booths from the first day of the seventh month. They began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord before the foundation of the temple was even laid. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, seventh month. And in 536 BC, those once exiled returnees are laying the foundation and they have to stop. They're in war again. There's opposition. That temple, number two, will not be completed until years later in 515 BC. And guess what? Ezra is sent. He's a priest of the Lord. He's sent to read the law to the people. And guess what festival it is? The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the seventh month, and they're dedicating this temple again. Ezra means Yahweh has helped. Yahweh had helped them rebuild the temple, and Ezra reads the law, and they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And they assemble, and there's great rejoicing. They kept the seven-day festival, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the eternal ordinance. It's perpetual ordinance. So there's a wave of rebuilding this thing. They finally get this temple rebuilt. But there's one problem. And what's the problem? There's no Ark of the Covenant. It's gone. There's no Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies inside the temple. Why? 
Because you must remember two Maccabees too. Jeremiah hit the ark when the Babylonians were coming. Jeremiah took that ark and he put it up in a cave and people went to follow him to try to see where it was and the cave was sealed and they couldn't find it. It was gone. They couldn't find the Ark of the Covenant. The true presence of God was gone. And so when Jeremiah learns that they're looking for it, he rebukes them. And he said, this place will remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. Don't even look for it. God will tell us when the time is. God will tell us when we need to find the Ark. And how will God tell us? The glory of the Lord in the cloud will appear. Well, guess what? One day, the glory of the Lord in the cloud did appear over a new ark of a new covenant. The cloud did appear again. The cloud of the Holy Spirit overshadowed this vessel of grace and purity. A virgin girl in Nazareth by the name of Mary. Oh, hail, oh, highly favored daughter, oh, highly graced daughter. And she says, yes, Lord, yes, yes, be it done unto me according to your word. And the glory of the Lord fills her temple. And no one else can come in ever. Get it? Now within nine months and 40 days, why do I say nine? We know nine months for pregnancy and 40 days because that's the time when Jesus will be presented at the temple. And it'll be the purification according to the law of Moses. He'll be brought for presentation on day 40 and they will bring an offering to redeem him. It's the feast of redemption of the firstborn son. He has to be bought back. (laughs) Remember that. When they walk in, after nine months and 40 days, the Ark of the Covenant is back in the temple. The true presence of God is in the temple. And Simeon knows it. Simeon is full of the Holy Spirit. He's been waiting his whole life to see the consolation of Israel, to see Messiah. And he knows. He knows the new Ark is Mary. He knows there's a new covenant within her womb. There was a new covenant. There was authority. And there was the true bread of life. All the contents of the ark are there. Simeon knows by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is who we've been waiting for. The true presence of God is back in the temple. Simeon knows it. Anna knows it. Mary knows it. Joseph knows it. And Simeon, who was waiting, had the Holy Spirit come on him. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. What's his baby's name? Salvation. God saves. Yeshua. I've seen salvation, literally. You've prepared for the presence of all people of all time, a revelation, a glorious light to the Gentiles and the consolation of Israel. This is Messiah. He knows it. Now, I think Jesus Christ was born on the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'll tell you about that next time. But it's fascinating. (laughs) Tabernacles was a feast for all the nations, the only Jewish feast that was for all the nations. It's called Sukkot. And it's one of the three required pilgrim feasts for the Jews. And it was for every country. They invited everyone to come. The theme was that all the nations will go up and worship the king and keep the feast. It's a king feast. And God is king over all the world. They knew that God was the God of all people. They were to be a light to the other nations. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter seven, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.